Your sensors are correct. Do not adjust your heading. Your heading. You've discovered the Omega Particle. Streaming to the Alpha Quadrant and beyond. 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 Here's your host. The anchorman of the Federation. The doctor of Dilithium. This is Jonathan Wiegand. Welcome to the Omega Particle Podcast. I am your doctor of Dilithium. And I prescribe 10 Ragnogeno stat. Seriously, how awesome would Klingon coffee be? Uh, either way, I hope you've had a great couple of days off. I This is uh, July 4th weekend here in the United States, so hopefully you get some time off. But I am your anchorman of the Federation, the guiding beacon of Trek through these troubled, troubled times. And today we are reviewing Season 2, Episode 3 of Strange New Worlds, Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. Or as I like to call, when am I going to mow the lawn? Tomorrow, and then tomorrow, and then maybe tomorrow. <laughs> JK, I'm just kidding. Um, I think the title actually could have used some more tomorrows in there, but that's just my personal opinion. And I mean, I guess if there is no tomorrow, you just got to seize the opportunities while you can. And come on, seriously, Luna, I would have to say your script writing has gotten better. So kudos to you. And for those of you who don't know, that's my intern, Luna. She writes all of these uh, podcast episode scripts, so that's her. So thank you for that. Um, and before we get into the review, I want to launch a runabout into the deep, dark kind of negativity that is around Prodigy and Paramount Plus, or as I like to call it, PP Plus. So this past week, Prodigy was canceled and almost immediately was removed from the PP Plus catalog, which then led to this massive like raid on Blu-ray disc, and everybody was kind of trying to buy the physical copies as quickly as possible. And I feel like they dropped Prodigy so fast, it makes me think that PP Plus did it, and this is the only reason they did it, is for the tax break that came through it. So um, if you don't know that apparently, and I didn't know this either, so don't feel bad, that you can write off a show and all of the production cost and all of the marketing, etc., for the show if you just write it off as a loss in your financial statements and you, and you categorize it as a loss and you're done. And so I definitely think the show will be sold at some point to somebody down the road, but... If they Paramount Plus or Paramount in that case just wants to keep that loss on their financials for the 2023 financial year, they're going to have to keep the show as a loss. So they can't sell it because then it'll be sell on gain and it's just a bunch of other tax issues and reporting issues. So they could if they get a good price, but don't be surprised if we'd never see season two at all, number one, if there's no buyers. And don't be surprised if we don't get to see season two again. And it's on another streaming platform. So another big issue with these streaming sites is that they're pushing content to these freemium, I guess you could say. So it's free sites, but they actually have ads on there. So it's it's you don't pay anything, but you know you have to watch ads. So a lot of places are kind of just like Netflix and Paramount are just like shoveling movies and shows that aren't popular to these freemium sites so they can get some kind of revenue in. 
But so that's what I think is going to be happening. I've kind of read that a little bit on the accounting and finance world. That's kind of exactly why Paramount did that or PP Plus did that. So unfortunately, that sucks because I feel like it was just getting good and it had a really long track record with award shows and things. Is that right, Luna? A couple Emmys. So it was not this complete failure. However, it is what it is and hopefully another streaming service will pick it up. However, that is not why you have come and tuned in here into the OPP and the Fortress of Trekdom here on the East Coast of the United States. And we are going to be covering and reviewing an amazing episode this week's Tomorrow Cubed, I guess you could call it. So anyway, Luna, let's get into it. Let's light this candle. So if you're a big fan of Trek, you see this a lot. This is another episode where it's mostly singular character focused and which is fine. And there's a lot of principal characters in Star Trek shows when they do this, especially in Strange New Worlds. And I think that's completely fine. But the problem is, is that like, you know, the golden age of Star Trek, you know, you had like DS9 and, and, and TNG, you could do that because you had 20, 24 episodes in a season. So you kind of could stretch it out and build these characters up, but not when there's only 10 episodes a season. So Paramount, you got to fix it, go to 20 plus episodes and there you go. Then we have an in-depth characters as we want, problem solved. Now, considering that, you know, we had a prominent character on Strange New Worlds that bared the surname Noonien Sue. It was bound to happen, you know, sometime in this show series that we would actually tackle, you know, the repercussions of being related to Leanne's most renowned family member and the emotional distress by kind of living in Khan's shadow. Personally, I've been waiting for it ever since I heard her name when they released all the characters a couple years ago. I was like, oh, this is going to eventually come to a head. We're going to have this Khan shadow parent kind of thing over the her character for the entire show and it looks like it finally paid off and we even see little Khan himself and then that raised the whole do you kill him and it's the baby hitler question that we got in philosophy class you know do you kill baby hitler even though you know what he's gonna do or etc and also one of the big things about this episode took a very hard left how much money can you make from hustling chess like seriously he it looks like he did it like maybe six times but he was able to rent out a penthouse hotel room and have all the food and everything taken care of no problem so i i was just a little that took me out of the episode probably my number one issue with the episode was like seriously what's up with this all this this chess hustling and maybe vulcans can't jump high you know like white man can't jump that's an 80s comedy reference so if you don't know Getting back to the main point of the episode. So we've briefly caught glimpses of, you know, this con issue over Leanne and especially with her fury about learning that Una was genetically modified in the previous season and it again surfaced in the recent trial. Another highlight of this episode is we see Paul Wesley return as James T. Kirk and he portraying a version of the character that technically exists outside the show's main timeline and i think paul did a fine job as kirk and 
I mean, he has that slightly cocky attitude and charismatic appeal, and it, it really helps not to think about him as Kirk, you know, some t- kind of takes me out of the show, and I instantly do a Shatner comparison, but we will cover the Kirk job that Wesley has done this episode and, and later on in this episode, so please check that out and hold on if you want to have the, the Kirk analysis, but I just really think that the spotlight truly belongs to Christina Chong and she delivered an amazing performance this week as Leanne and definitely like the Shrek comparison am I, am I gonna do it every week who knows definitely delving into her intricately layered character I mean she embodies a multitude of emotions through the whole hour you know you have anger aloofness stubbornness fear and this profound underlying loneliness And she firmly believes that only a select few, a very few amount of people are capable of perceiving her beyond her genetic components, beyond her last name, that they only can see the name, nobody else. And, and much less, and I will say this, the writing this week has been incredible. We had a great humor and it was very well placed last week. And again, this week and it, it almost reminded me of this 90s rom-com that they're on this mission and they kind of hate each other at the beginning and then they eventually fall in love. And I mean, it kind of reminds me of that critically acclaimed movie, The Day After Tomorrow, which we shouldn't get confused with today's episode, Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. Again, Luna, the joke, what are you writing here? Anyway, <laughs> furthermore... We are aware of Leanne's anxieties about her potential influence of her genetics and her constant dread of transforming into a monster herself. And, a f- and I mean, it's a fate she perceives as irreversible, that she's going to be a monster one day. And we will cover this in a couple minutes, but it raises an interesting question of nature versus nurture. Are we the products of our genetics and our family and our upbringing, or do we forge our own destiny and path? And or maybe it's a little bit of both. But like I said, we're, we'll cover that shortly. And before we kind of get into the top deep topics of this week's episode, let's go through a little recap in case you watch this week or several months from now, you're finally catching up. Um, so in this week's, we find Leanne like trapped on an alternate version of the Enterprise when a mysterious man later to be revealed from the Department of Temporal Investigations which doesn't exist yet in the Strange New Worlds timeline, he suddenly appears. And so the number one thing to me is the temporal Cold Wars were real. Like, this is a real thing now. It's legit canon and probably the only thing from the Enterprise to survive into this new Trek world. So they will, again, they even get into it a little bit. Um, Sarah, the Romulan, talks about it, and we'll definitely cover all of that. Anyway, this stranger hands her a device and insists that she must prevent an attack that has occurred in the past and that she should head for the bridge. And this attack has significant repercussions on the timeline that effectively erases the existence of the Federation. And so Kirk now serves as the captain of of this Enterprise, not Pike. And while Spock is even on his own vessel as a Vulcan commander and the Vulcans are engaged with war with the Romulans and Either way, using the same device, Kirk and Leanne are sent back to the mid-21st century. We will cover why they went back to the mid-21st century. And, you know, they have to unravel the events that caused this timeline alteration. 
this investigation takes them to a lot of places, you know, Vermont, but they really belong and start in Toronto, Canada, which is kind of crazy that they went to Vermont to meet Pela and maybe that was the reason she got into engineering was because of what Leanne said to her. Either way, um, throughout this whole mission, Kirk and Leanne grow closer and like I mentioned before, like forging a stronger bond and eventually falling in love. So as we see them fall in love, we they figure out why and where they need to go. And there's this cold reactor in downtown Toronto. And they figure out, oh, it's this con research facility. And then they meet this other woman who is kind of their friend. I think her name's Sierra. She's Romulan. And then they tussle. And, you know, long story short, timeline is saved. Little con is protected. And the rest goes on their way. So that's kind of the recash of the episode real quick, if you forgot. Now we're going to get into the fun stuff that I mentioned before. And the first thing is Kirk. So I initially had a lot of reservations about the decision to introduce a younger version of Kirk in Strange New Worlds. I didn't think the show needed another main big character. You know, I I just felt like they just put it in to put it in. It was kind of cheap. However, I must confess that Wesley's performance has pleasantly surprised me. Um, Apparently, he was in, as Luna tells me, a show called The Vampire Diaries. And I, I don't know. He was on that show for a while. I've never watched The Vampire Diaries, but Luna tells me he was good in it. Either way, I I remain steadfast in my belief that this show can thrive without any iteration of Kirk. Hence, I have to say, it does feel almost miraculous that the two episodes he has appeared in have been some of the best in the entire series. Either way, and that kind of wraps up into another point that, you know, the brilliance of Strange New Worlds lies in its clever utilization of these alternate timelines this approach like not only help viewers gradually accept the new portrayal of kirk and these other characters but also you know granted wesley ample room to carve out his own path not really just be a imitation or impression of chris pine or william shatner you know the two people that have previously acted in the role i think it was just a delightful surprise especially in how wesley's portrayal of Kirk like exuded such youthfulness and we haven't really seen that in the other two and I mean he has a I guess like a playfulness as a like a young kid and as a, a young man so I think that really helped kind of set him apart and be his own and I mean everything from you know the street hot dogs to suggesting Duck Duck Go which is kind of crazy to me that Duck Duck Go would be around in the 23rd century but either way he just kind of this showcases a carefree spirit that you know that he hasn't yet been burdened by the consequences of command and the consequences of his own decisions that he just really believes that there's going to be a brighter world to this extent that he's willing to sacrifice his life for it his younger brother's alive and he's willing to go to toe for it because he wants that timeline you know the well, i guess the original timeline against everything that i have felt I kind of have grown genuinely fond of this incarnation of Kirk. And I know a lot of people may roast me for that and throw me over the bridge, but I have to say I do. And it's hard to bring a new 
persona to a character that's been around for 50 plus years but Kirk is one thing when he's in his you know mid 30s and 40s and he's like older and he's command of the captain of the Enterprise and he's going on missions and he knows who he who he is and he's sure of himself and he has that confidence it's another thing to see him as a young man who doesn't really have that yet and see that development so that's cool I really do like that and furthermore Wesley and Chong they share just an adorable on-screen chemistry. I mean, call me sentimental, but I love the notion of Kirk engaging in romantic flirtations with another uh, another alien lady. And plus, like, she uh, technically is uh, descended from his ultimate ne- nemesis. So it's rather endearing. I definitely like that. And, and speaking of Khan, what really truly stands out in this episode to me is the opportunity to witness Leanne unwind in a way we've never seen before. Normally in the show, she perpetually carries a certain degree of tension, whether it's, you know, doing her daily routines or when she's socializing with Klingons over a barrel of blood wine. She's constantly anticipating almost like an impending crisis, an impending doom. Yet in this scenario... Despite the weight of an unraveling mystery that could irreversibly alter her life's timeline, irreversibly alter everything and everyone she cares about's timeline, she appears more relaxed, liberated, and kind of enjoying herself with Kirk a little bit. It's a very refreshing change to witness for her character, especially, you know, she's kind of almost been one-sided, so to see her detached from that and detached from that burdensome legacy associated with her family name. It's nice to see kind of the acting chops of Chong really ex- like just really excel here. It makes me think, you know, when was the last time we saw her experience, you know, such a judgment-free moment? And maybe maybe never in the show. So this was really nice and and naturally, you know, in this episode dealing with the Khan last name and legacy, it is crucial for Leanne, you know, to come to terms with the fact that she too bears the imprint of Khan's legacy, encompassing both the positive and negative aspects of it. And even the line she says is, his legacy is genocide and torture and me is incredibly powerful. So showing, yeah, he's a monster, but I'm also a part of his legacy too. And I'm going to be different from that. That's how I took that line and in that scene. And again, however, you know, acknowledging her connection to Khan does not condemn her to follow his footsteps. You know, she possesses the autonomy to forge a different path. And if you don't believe me, it's evidenced by her decision to save the the young Khan, to not kill him. And even though this young Khan would inflict immense suffering upon her and humanity, It was then, in that critical moment, that she exercised her own agency and makes a morally superior choice. One that, paradoxically, conflicts with her own self-interest and values. After all, she takes a life to shield a mass murderer. She takes down uh, Sierra the Romulan. It's a decision that diverges significantly from what Khan, her, that infamous ancestor, would have likely done in that similar situation. He would have put himself first and protected himself and his interests first. 
And in this one act, she demonstrates to herself that her true essence and true personhood lies in the choices that she consistently makes, defining her character and determining who she ultimately becomes. So it is kind of both, I think, nature and nurture, but ultimately it's what we decide. Yes, you know, like for example, my father is not the greatest guy. He is a hustler. Uh, he's lied to a lot of people, got charged with forgery and all this kind of stuff before. But that doesn't mean I am. So I don't have to pay for the sins of my father so that I can be who I am by my decisions, by my actions, by my values, and by my character. So this is an uplifting message, especially for people like me who have a complicated family history. To be like, is it genes and genetics or is it my own personal path that I have to forge? And it, I definitely believe it's the latter. And, and it's sometimes weird because there's some like times I'll say things or do things that I significantly got from my father. And I'll say, okay, those things about me, I can't help. So I, I have to accept those parts about me. Either way, I didn't mean to turn this into a, a therapy session, but... As we move on, you know, let's move on and keep the ball rolling here about the time travel in this episode was really well done, too. So we've covered Kirk, we've covered Leanne and Khan and, and, you know, the nature versus nurture argument. And now let's get into a little bit of the time travel. So as is the case with any episode, Star Trek episode centered around time travel and potential alternative realities, the extent to which you scrutinize the intricacies of the world created and the potential plot holes that may arise, you know, that that's a matter of personal preference. That's, hey, how deep do you want the rabbit hole to go, you know? It's the butterfly effect. I mean, if you go in and, like, and which is a theory, like, you know, a butterfly flaps his wings differently in a timeline, everything can change. And so questions naturally arise, such as the exact occurrence of the eugenics war in this particular timeline, which we are going to get into in depth. Do not worry. Another reason, like how Kirk possesses knowledge about Romulan ships in a world where the classic TOS episode Balance of Terror likely hasn't transpired, or how a youthful, endearing version of Khan still exists in the 21st century, and not in the 20th century, in the, in the early 90s. We're in the 21st now, so we will get into that. Do not worry. Furthermore, what, how much of what we actually witnessed actually unfolded after reality reverted back to its original state did it even matter and then the final shot of the watch you know that lamb brought back kind of suggests that we may not be disregarding the after effects of her journey into the alternate past fully that there there might be more implications for leanne kirk and the primary timeline that remain uncertain and open to maybe effect or speculation and and who knows if this is an open door for the temporal Cold War being brought back into the main plot line of the show. And who knows if the temporal Cold War will be heating up at some point. I don't know. But these, again, it's it's literally up to the individual's preference and how deep you want that rabbit hole to go. As we wrap up our review, I will say, all in all, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow is just a nostalgic tribute to the finest time travel timeline episodes of star trek it delves into the path left unexplored 
and the profound internal and emotional effects about the future narratives that we have. It is remarkable to me that Strange New Worlds is still being able to churn out interesting Trek every week. Like last week was Ad, Ad Aspera, Ad something. I forget the name of the title. But that was like a courtroom drama, like of Law and Order. And now we get a classic timeline alternate mission that we go on. So it's very hats off, very amazing job that the writers have done. And I am enjoying it. So that has been our entire review for tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Did I get all the tomorrows, Luna? Okay. Um, however, I did want to cover something, and this might be maybe that for the nerds, stick around, because this is actually something that caught my eye, especially, and I just mentioned it a few minutes ago, about how the eugenics war was supposed to happen in the 90s, I think 1996. However, this conflict in Trek history that we saw in this episode it kind of doesn't happen into the mid 21st century. We see that, you know, Leanne came to face to face with Khan and he's just a kid in the mid 21st century. So it seems like to me, something has changed with the main timeline. And like I mentioned before, Sierra, she's a time traveling Romulan agent who was trying to eliminate earth as a potential rival, you know, to the empire and take down the Federation. She planned to have Leanne assist in her getting in the biological lab or that they were holding Khan in to kill him and thus preventing the eugenics wars from happening and therefore cutting the chain of events, you know, that would lead to World War III, which would then lead to first contact with the Vulcans and then them would lead to, you know, the beginning of this quote-unquote Age of Enlightenment part two that we would have on Earth that would establish the United Federation of Planets, which the main rival of the Romulan Star Empire. So something they didn't want. And... And during her villain monologue, Sierra explained the timeline discrepancies. Okay, and we have a clip of that. Luna, let's roll that clip. But you know, so many people have tried to influence these events, you know, to delay them or stop them. I mean, whole temporal wars have been fought over them. And it's almost as if time itself is, is pushing back and events reinsert themselves and all this was supposed to happen back in 1992. And I've been trapped here for 30 years trying to get my shot at him. So this has officially reset the eugenics wars into the 21st century. And Sierra offers an in-canon explanation why they didn't happen in the 1990s, referencing the temporal Cold War, you know, from Enterprise, and asserting the timeline has changed, but pivotal events like the eugenics wars will still, quote-unquote, reinsert themselves. Very interesting and brilliant writing to me. So now, and there's a reason why they wanted to make this correction. While some, like, you know, believe the show is trying to change Star Trek history or may even create an all-new alternate timeline, kind of like the Kelvin movies and give them many, many more seasons and Captain Pike won't end up in the beep-beep chair, it appears that the motivation for this change in eugenics wars was not that. And it was a lot simpler and a lot more, I guess, I guess nicer and sweeter. So speaking of the cinema blend, co-showrunner Avika Goldsman offers some context why they wanted to do this timeline change. As a direct quote, Avika says, this is a correction. Perhaps otherwise it's silly 
So Star Trek ceases to be in our universe by the way this happened in season one. So this is not a season two issue, it's a pilot issue. We want Star Trek to be an aspirational future. We want to be able to dream our way into the Federation as a Starfleet. And I think that that's the fun of it, in part. And so in order to keep Star Trek in our timeline, we continue to push dates forward. At a certain point, we won't be able to. But obviously, if you start saying the eugenics wars were in the 90s, you're kind of effed for an aspirational in terms of the real world. So the main reason why was to keep Gene Roddenberry's vision of a hopeful future alive, even though we've passed those dates. So pushing back the dates further and further, and to a point we won't be able to, but further and further, that we can say, hey, we still have time to figure things out, you know? And also, Goldsman says the show had already moved the eugenics wars into the 21st century, and like she said, it was a pilot issue. In the pilot episode, Pike showed off footage of Earth's troubled history, and he said, you know, this is Earth in the 21st century. Before everything went wrong, our conflict also started with the fight for freedoms. We called it the Second Civil War, then the Eugenics War, and finally just World War III. And that, if you remember from the very first episode of the pilot episode, that was very controversial because it said, oh, we're going to have a second civil war here in the United States. And, and uh, it's very politically charged and tenuous. And a lot of people didn't like that. So she is right. Goldsman's right. We, we have had this from the pilot episode that they have changed the timeline. So this isn't anything new. And if you're so mad about shows messing with the timeline, well, let me offer this to you. In season two of Picard, not the best season, let's be honest. We see that Picard and his crew traveled back to the year 2024 and they were trying to fix the timeline, and which included stopping this alternate Borg queen from changing history. And they got assistance from 21st century geneticist Adam Soon. And in the season finale of Picard season two, after the plan failed and all of Soon's digitally stored research was erased, he pulled out a physical file folder and paper report called Project Khan, dated June 7, 1996. It wasn't made clear if the project was active at the time or if Soon was considering like reactivating it, but the implication was that he would turn his attention to it Next, and this would lead, you know, to the rise of Khan, Nuni, and Sue, and eugenics war in the 21st century. And it's, and if people say, well, that's just Picard, that's a new Trek. It's not just the new shows. So in 1996, Star Trek Voyager traveled back to contemporary Los Angeles for the two-part episode, Future's End. And there was no evidence of any eugenics wars or aftermath to be seen. It just looked like Sarah Silverman driving around a VW Bug in 1996 LA. So there was no kind of aftermath in this awful, like a fourth of the world's population killed kind of thing. So again, they're not always sticklers for the timeline, but what do you all think? Do you think this correction, you know, to keep Star Trek in our real world timeline is appropriate? Keeping this, you know, the eugenics wards and, and the subsequent age of enlightenment in our future you know, keeps the show relevant? Do you, do you think that? Is it, you know, is it consistent with real world history? I don't know. I feel like this is a dangerous game and I know the motivation behind it kind of goes, like I mentioned before, goes back to 
Gene Roddenberry, who envisioned the show and the franchise as uh, depicting a hopeful view of humanity's future. I think this is a stupid approach, blatantly and obvious. I just don't think it matters. The show, that whole thing about a hopeful future, humanity's future, is a thing we can strive for. It's not an actual literal thing. We're not going to be like, oh, I guess the eugenics war was um, in 1996, so that means we're screwed as a society. No, that just means, you know, eventually we can be better. We don't have to have actual specifics. We're adults. You know, we, we're not nerds sitting in our mom's basement. You know, we, we have the ability to reason and logic and say, hey, this is what we shoot for. I personally feel this is just something they just want to do to mess with the timeline and might kind of try to fit in other things, you know, uh, maybe their own way that, you know, Pike somehow gets out of the beep beep chair. So that's what I think. I think maybe they're trying to rework it so Anson Mount can stay in Strange New Worlds a little bit longer, just depending on how successful the show is. So let me know um, what you all think. I'd love to hear it. I know I'm not the only one with a strong opinion on this, I bet. I mean, do we always have to push it back? I mean, eventually we're going to run right into each other. I mean, what happens in the 23rd century? You know, if Star Trek's going for another, like, 200 years, are we just going to rewrite Trek? Okay, anyway. Anyway, that has been our review for tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow and deep diving into the change of Star Trek canon and timeline for the eugenics war. Luna, let's wrap it up. Thank you all so much for listening. I really appreciate it. And it's been awesome kind of getting into Strange New Worlds with you guys. Um, please, like I mentioned before, let me know what you think. You can reach out to us on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Jeez, what's going on with Twitter, man? Like I only can read 600 tweets a day or something? That's so stupid. Either way, please feel free to reach out to us. We love hearing and talking to you guys. And as always, please check out www.jasontalksmovies.wordpress.com for all of your blog and movie reviews. I'm sure he'll be doing one soon on Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, so keep a lookout for that. And remember, guys, take care of one another, take care of yourselves, and second start of the right, straight on till morning. <laughs>